Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Okay, folks, this is a Friday week if you're in the rabbi business, so I gotta do the Chayon this week, I see, which I'm happy to do, but there is no way I'm gonna do justice. I keep saying that over and over again. These are long and very, very interesting subjects. And who's got the time? I got school later on today. I got a Shabbat Shuvah uh, drasha to put together. I got a lot of things I'm trying to put the sukkah up. It's uh, that time of the year. And it's a shame because the Chayyanim is a is a very very interesting uh, uh, situation. Uh, but I'll share whatever I can within the context of a few minutes. It's one of my favorite books. Um, so this today I'm doing the biography of the author of the Chayyanim, Rabbi Avram Danzig. Meaning he was a guy named Avram who lived in the city of Danzig. Danzig is in the port city in the Baltic, you know. Now it's part of Poland, it used to be part of Germany in, 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 in Poland. Uh, so this is a rabbi who lived in uh, Eastern Europe, especially Lithuania, Vilna, in the second half of the 1700s and early 1800s. He lived from 1748 to 1820. So what was he, 72 or 73 when he died, right? Now, uh, sometimes you have interesting biographies of people because their lives were interesting. Like last week, you have Jonas and Aishas. It's just a very interesting uh, set of circumstances in his life. And sometimes you have other people that their life circumstances are not necessarily so interesting. They're not boring, but not interesting. But their fame lies in their writings. And that's certainly the case with Avram Danzig. No question about it. This is someone who was born, like I say, in Poland, in Western Poland, in, in the middle of the 1700s. Uh, very interestingly, He's up north, near uh, off the Baltic Sea, near Hamburg and those places, near Lithuania, actually. And he went to um, learn in Prague, which is far away, as a kid. His father, as I recall, was exactly his, his role model. His father was a Talmud Chacham, guy knew how to learn. He was a businessman. Uh, as you know, is an old tradition that if you don't need to become a rabbi, you don't. Uh, that's uh, m- many uh, the great Gedolim were like that. You want? You, why would you want to be a rov? Uh, be a balabas and learn Torah uh, if you know how. And I remember he said somewhere he had ten. His father had ten sons. In other words, he's one of ten siblings. Chayyadab, and the father knew how to learn. And each one of his kids basically he raised to on the one hand be in learning, and number two go into business. So it's a perfect world. Nobody has to support you. Uh, you can tell the Balabatim where to go. Uh, nobody can boss you around. Hey, can, you want to give a shear? Give a shear. You want to, you know, paskin a shiloh? You know, go do it if you're able to. And, uh, you know, but you, these are the type of people with a certain elite from yesterday. So you put in a lot of time every day in learning, but you also put in a lot of time every day in business. You can't be a successful business person unless you devote yourself uh, head and heels into the business. So this son of his, Avram Danzig, Went to learn as a young boy, around 12, 13. That's what he did in those days in Prague. You know, in those days, you just walked or you took a, a horse and wagon, went hundreds and hundreds of miles away to go to a Malcolm Torah. This is Prague during the period of the Note of Yehuda when 
things were, were black and white, meaning hot and cold. Uh, half the city was already becoming not from, for a whole bunch of reasons. The other half of the city was pretty doggone from. And you still had nine or ten yeshivas uh, flourishing in Prague during this era. And this boy, Avram Danzi, he was like 12 years old or something like that, went to learn in the yeshiva of somebody who was famous in his day, but is completely forgotten today, Rabbi Yosef Lieberman, who we would say today was like a machina. You understand? Know, he specialized in teaching young boys, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's what he did. So he went through the, what we would say today, the Prague machina system. Uh, and then, after he finished that, he went to the yeshiva Gedola, which was the note of Yehuda, where he learned for a couple of years, not that long. He learned for a couple of years by the note of Yehuda, not that long. And he got smicha or something like that. I think he got smicha's chavr. You know, in Eastern Europe, in Central Europe, I mean, they had a whole system. First you're a chavr, and then you're a, uh, a rav, and then finally moreno harav, or something like that. It was like a system. Basically a BA, an MA, and a PhD. I know it sounds funny, but that's really what it was like once upon a time. And so, remember, he's not planning to be a rabbi. He's just learning. When he's 18, he gets married. That's what you did in those days. Maybe he stayed another year in Prague. Maybe he didn't. But eventually moved back to Vilna. I think his wife's family was in Vilna, I believe. But then he spent the rest of his life there. So this is a guy who lives in Vilna. Let's put this together. He was born in 1748. So from the late 1760s until 1800, imagine him as a businessman in the, in the town of Vilna. This is during the time of Vilna Gon. Now you might say, oh, Vilna time of Vilna was the ear Mali Chachamim Besofram. Everybody was learning Torah on the street. Even the, even the bartender was a, a Bucky Bishas, all the rest of it. Just the opposite. This period was one which the Hamonam knew nothing. Whatever they did, they did by, because your father did it, your mother did it, that's what you did, you know, mimetic Judaism. It was a small elite of big scholars, as always was the case. The Vilna Gon was in a class by himself. I'm not counting him. He, but he himself didn't interact with others. He had just like a small class, a small minion. Uh, and here's this person who was for 30-some years, that's a long time, just a uh, businessman, a merchant, uh, traveling all over Europe, because that's what you're going to do when you be successful in business. You gotta go, he writes this. You've got to go to Frankfurt. You've got to go to Leipzig. You've got to go all over the place where the major fairs are. Uh, being a, a merchant, a successful business person, once upon a time. So this is not somebody who lives all his life in a Dalai but is uh, all over uh, Europe, is a sophisticated, but very from, you know, like a real Tom and the Nubihuda. Real from guy, even though he's out in the world. And he puts in time, serious time into learning every day, and he knew how to learn. But remember, this is a guy who left Yeshiva when he was like 18, 19 years old. It's not what you think. You know, you think like nowadays somebody's in Kolel and this and that. No. He, he's out on his own. He was a smart guy, and like I say, he put time into it, but uh, he wasn't planning to have any kind of, you know, a, a participation. Now, Vilna, during his time, although he doesn't write it, as Hatzich Gekocht, was a city of tremendous strife for two reasons. First, you had the fight between the Hasidim and Misnagdim. That's exactly what happened in the 1770s, 80s, and 90s during the lifetime of the Grah. So the city was really torn. Families were torn in half and huge fights, which got into fist fights and things like this, over that. Uh, and he's living right through there. He's a misnagin. And then, in addition to that, you had the dirty fights of, Ahush, of the, of the Rabbanus, which I think I mentioned in the past. Uh, there was a guy who was stooped in to be the Av Bezin of Vilna, and then the others didn't like him, and then that led to 
big, big fights in the community for really about 30 years, 20, 30 years, and ended up in the Polish courts, I kid you not, and it was a Chil Hashem Shein Kamot, the arguments about Rabbi Shmuel Ben Avigdor, and the Vilnagon was a little bit of a, a, a bit player in this uh, role, and he was attacked. It was a, you know, it was, a, it was a messy and dirty time to live in Vilna, even though in some respects it's a glorious time. So here is a businessman, and being a business, listen closely, what I'm going to say, being a business person, he brought the mentality of the businessman to learning. That's a good thing I'm saying, not a bad thing. What do I mean by the mentality of the business person to learning? He's not so flagging. You're not learning a little here, learning that. A business person has to have a business plan. You have to keep track of your inventory. You have to manage your accounts. You have to be extremely masudder. Because if you're not masudder, if you're not well organized, you lose money. Simple as that. If you don't keep track of your merchandise and of your contracts and of your business uh, correspondence and all the other things like this, if you if you can't make it, you understand? You just cannot make it. So a person that has a natural tendency to be all over the place, to fly, stay in Kolo somewhere where it doesn't matter what you do because, you know, you're, either way, you'll still be the same thing. If you want to be in the real world, as they say, in business, you have the discipline of the marketplace. So he brings that to his way of learning, and therefore his learning is very much oriented in the direction of Halach Lamaisa, uh, which is a certain style of learning, and even though you can see from his writings that he knew how to learn Lumdus and Popol and all that kind of stuff, no question about it, uh, because he has some of those writings, but his main focus was to be very practical. A business person has to be very practical, and practical in Yiddishkeit means, you know, the Halach Lamaisa. Now, he wrote, what happened was that uh, after he was 30-some years in business. So imagine, a guy shows up at the age of 20 and becomes a merchant. I don't know where he got the capital. Maybe from his father, maybe from his in-laws. And then, you know, he uh, was spent three decades in the world of business. Uh, just think about who he interacts with and all that. But in addition to that, he was always had an atiyah for Allah Lamaisep. And I think he was uh, sort of unofficially from time to time in the uh, uh, talking to the Dayanam on the Beisden. You know what I mean? Uh, he, uh, uh, he was a player in, in the world of Lumdus, of Halach Lamaisa. So when a Shiloh showed up, uh, what can I say? He's not sitting in the back shooting the bull with somebody. He's uh, up front shooting the bull with the people sitting in the Mizrafant. That's And what does it mean, shooting the bull? Mizrafant? He's talking to the dying. What kind of interesting Shiloh do you have on Pesach time? What new issue happened in Yeridea? What new uh, divorce problem happened up? He just likes to talk about this. You understand? And he's hawking and learning in that way. So uh, that's a pretty good level to be shooting the bulls. Anyway, uh, as happens in the biographies of all these famous rabbinical figures from the past, he, had a, he went broke. Uh, the business in, in Europe at that time, like today, is up and down. And it was right in the middle of the Napoleonic Wars, of the French Revolutionary Wars. The situation in Eastern Europe was very volatile. And I don't know exactly what happened, but it's totally in that kind of situation. You can make a lot of money, you can lose a lot of money. And he went broke. So for 30 years, he was well-to-do, and he made it, and then he lost it. Now, uh, if this is 1800, so he's 52. Uh, it's, so you, it's possible to, you know, pull your bootstraps up and start all over again from scratch at 52, but it ain't easy, right? Agreed? 52 is not easy to start all over again. And so in this situation... Uh, his friends and others, uh, the guys he used to hock with, said, so I guess, you should uh, accept an official salaried position here in Vilna. 
They've only gone to die three years before in 1797. And you're obviously a halacha guy, and we can use you on the basin. Won't pay a lot of money, but it pays enough to make a living. And that's what he did. So for the last 20 years of his life, from 1800 to 1820, when he was 52 to 72, that's when he served as a, what we say to a rub or a dying in Vilna. That's what he did for a living. So as a person who brought a, a wealth of real experience from life um, in the world of business, and he only entered the world of rabbinic literature in his 50s, and he wrote his famous books uh, in his 50s and 60s. Because remember, he died at 70 or 72, whatever. So it's just an interesting uh, situation. Nobody ever heard of him. And clearly, uh, he, his, he looked around, and I'm telling you what he says in his Hakdamah to the Chayyotim. And he happened to be uh, an excellent writer. That's one of the reasons people, that's why I like him, and many other people do also. He's an excellent writer. A lot of people are big time, they can't write, can't write to save their life. Uh, and so you have to figure out what does he mean over here and how, what's going, and then, you know, and, and a lot of the before from Shulchan Aruch sometimes are unclear. It makes it difficult to penetrate what they do. He knew this, and he says, in this very interesting intro to the Chayyotam, which is very long, and everybody should read it. You have a lot of fun if you read it. Because first of all, he's a very good writer, and second of all, Hebrew is easy. And he said, I'm looking around, and uh, Develt doesn't know anything. Uh, as I said before, with exceptions, most people out there, they don't know what to do on Shabbos and Yontif and uh, Davening and Kashrus and everything. They just follow what they saw their parents do. You understand? They just saw what their parents do. And uh, the Yeshiva system, he says, stinks. And guys learn and learn and learn. But then they see, they hit 15, 16, 17, they see it and they know anything, and they say, heck with it, as he puts it. Right? You know, and I know exactly what he's talking about. You know, a guy learns, 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 and then what do you know? And I'm talking about specifically in the year of Halach Lamaisa, because he didn't learn the Gemaras and the Sugyas to know what the Din is, to work it out to the end. They just learned for Lomdas. And you feel uh, lousy if you say, I spend so much time on this and on the other, and I don't control anything. I don't have anything uh, that, I, that I know well. It's, it's a psychologically uh, devastating. And as a result, he said that looking around Vilna and the other places, I see that the Gansevel doesn't know the Shulchan Aruch. How would they? It's too hard of a book for, the, for 99%, 99% to master. In order to know a din, you have to be able to read the Shulchan Aruch and first of all, a lot of things are out of place. You have to know this here and then compare with something it says over there. Then you have to know the stuff on the side of the Shulchan Aruch. Who out there, seriously, even today, who out there can read the Magan Avram, the Taz, and all the other things? And we live in a time when a lot of people have yeshiva education. Nobody at that time had yeshiva education. I'll repeat it. In Vilna, in 1800, nobody had yeshiva education, which is exactly why, four years later, somebody named Chaim Velazhin, you've heard of him, started yeshiva because he said there's no learning going on in any kind of organized yeshiva way. Now, we all think the Vilna Gaon was such an era, door day and all the rest of it. No, it was not. Uh, for a few tiny group at the top, it was. But for the Hamon Ham, it certainly was not. And so, Chayyotim, in the best Maimonidean tradition, meaning, I want to help the public, he, he said, like this, the only way to solve the situation is to do an art scroll. Now I'm talking art scroll, Vilna 1800, not art scroll in America today. So it's not going to be in English in another language. It'll be in Hebrew, but it'll be in the simplest possible Hebrew. And he has a long introduction in which he says, I am writing a book for which, which, which boils down the whole Shulchan Archaim uh, into simple words. 
and an easy organized format, and it's much smaller than the whole Shulchan Archaim. And this is what he called the Chayonim. Uh, and he is a businessman, and so it's really funny. His introductions are like advertisements go by my book. Nothing wrong with what I'm saying, you just usually don't find it. And like a businessman, the introductions are very well organized. I just want to read you a tiny bit to show you how, how cool he is. He says, this is a book that everybody should buy, this is a safer, and there's a lot of toelas for it. And he gives you seven paragraphs. He said, even a 13-year-old kid who has a little bit of Kishranus, or certainly has a Rebbe, can go through the whole Shulchan Aruch, or a Chaim, uh, which, which would take a regular Masheh, which if a guy actually learned the Shulchan Aruch itself, with the Magen Avram and the Taz and all the other things like that, uh, it would take him a long time, and, and, and even then, many years. And I can, I can shorten this. See, it's a businessman. It's an efficiency expert. You get my book, you can knock off the whole thing in less than a year. Much less than a year. Uh, number two. Here's another good audience. Not only 13-year-old kids. There's the class of what we call Balabatim who have to work for a living. They ain't got no time to go to the Shulchanach. Give me a break. Go tell a Balabas who has to work from early in the morning to late in the evening. That's how it was in Europe. Uh, to scrounge together to, to, to make a living. He's got the time to now sit down and go through, for example, all the laws involving Yom Kippur, who can eat, who can't eat, the Kosevus Agas and all the rest of it, let alone Erevin, Shabbos, uh, you know, I mean, Tfila for that matter, Brachas. Give me a break. It was my book, you can. Number three, Even those who know how to learn Gemarashi Tosas, what they used to call in Europe a Chevroshas. But Kosevashach, Biyordesh, Enim Yotzim, Kitzich, and Lumen, Halachas, Psukas. Meaning, the guy who goes to the Chevroshas never learns Halachal Amaisa. Not in those days. You learn Gemara. You have a Gemara class, like we say today at Dafyomi. Great. What's so great about Dafyomi? A Gravim is fine, but I'm just saying you're not going to learn any Dinim from that way. And if the time you have for learning is devoted to the Dafyomi, which is the case even today, isn't that? Am I not right? The time a person has. And by the way, it's great. Here's a Balabas, or anybody, and he's like, I'm putting in my hour in Shul, my hour and a half, whatever. Every day, every day, every day, do Dafyomi. That's fantastic. Soon they're going to have the. Uh, the same mashas, but where do you learn your 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 your, your halachas from, right? Where do you get that from? And as a mangorim lasik b'shulchan archasonim, and you get my book, you can do it one, two, three. So he's taking you in a pattern: the thirteen-year-old kid, the balabas is working too hard, the dafiomi guy. Number four, I feel alumdim shulchan arch. You do a mach meshenim b'vur b'shulchan tamadin menatomid rabbanu sefer chosim. You gives rabbis line b'divri achronim. Even the guys that learn shulchan arch. A lot of times, he said, let's be honest, you don't know what you're reading. You don't know some things that rise in Rabbanon. It's out of order. Maybe you didn't understand this particular Malganavra. Maybe you didn't get that shach. It was my book. You can put it all together. Numbers, number five. Even those who are... De- so you see how he goes in, in order from the kid to the Balabas to the Dafyomi guy. The guy even learned Shulchan Aruch, but realized how difficult it is uh, to next to the level who learns the first from the Shulchan Aruch, like the Mogan And, and uh, what do you call it? He says, Mogan is hard to understand in a lot of places, but I make it easy for you. And then he goes, number six, Even people who do not learn and are Dayan and Poskim, 
I have it organized so easy for you, it'll be mechayet to read my book. And then he has a few more. I'm just giving an example of this you usually don't find, where somebody basically puts out an ad for his book, and he did the same thing with the Chachmas Adam. So the Chai Adam is a fantastic book. i just tell you a story. There's a guy in town uh, who asked me the other day what to learn or read or something like that. And I said, yeah, go look up the Chai Adam. And he wrote me a, 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 a text back the other day, Avram. And he said, this is amazing. This is fantastic. Doesn't even in English. Wow, I should have known this long ago. And the Chayim so great and all the rest of it. I said, well, you know, wake up and smell the coffee. Chayim is a fantastic work. It is, even though it sounds funny what I'm saying, but I don't mean it to be funny. It is pretty much the beginning of the, what you call the art school process, which is you take the hard stuff and try to make it easy. Uh, again, it's not in English. It's not with the footnotes and all the rest of it, like the art school, of course. But it's the beginning of the popularization of the Shulchan Aruch. Specifically, he's in the 1800s, so he sent himself to make available to the reader the Shulchan Aruch, which is the Mechaber and the Ramah, and the two guys on the side, the Mogan Avram and the Taz, and the El Yerabo. El Yerabo is a commentary on the Levush, and the Chayyanam is a big fan of the Levush. I don't want to get too technical, I'll lose you. But uh, let's put it this way. The main halachic form that were at that time. And basically he wrote this, Number one, to be a popular work that anybody can read. Number two, to be a cheater book. Nothing wrong with that. And number three, uh, to be something that uh, a person can get Sipak Nefesh, because he has in his introduction. If you read a page of this every day, then, uh, you know, by half a year, you've already done it. By the end of the day, you can the whole Shulchan Aruch over twice, or something like that. And uh, again, it's a businessman's uh, approach. And there's nothing wrong with this. You know, this way you can know the Shulchan Aruch and know the rules of Judaism, because most people don't know the rules of Judaism, and they get things wrong. And in the Chai Adam, and the Chachmas Adam, by the way, one of the a, a historian of social history has a gold mine. I thought of writing an article on this myself. You can go almost every page or every few pages, and you'll see the Chai Adam say like this: "This is what the halach is, not like the Velt does. Everybody does that and that, and then they're all wrong." And it's full of social criticism of Judaism improperly practiced by the homonam because they just follow what the parents did. And first of all, the parents got it wrong, or sometimes you think this is what your mother did, but it's actually not what you did. And also it gets mixed up with superstitions, popular superstitions. So uh, the Chayyam is really cool in, the, in that kind of way. It's very from. He puts a lot of musr in there and all that, but not in a, I would say, not in a heavy way. You know, not in a turn-off way. Uh, on speaking of that subject, this is I'm I'm giving this on the art side just before Yom Kippur, right? Yom Kippur is coming up. If you want to see something fantastic, uh, you read his intro to uh, Yom Kippur, uh, which is a long essay, uh, and it's very good and very clear, and it's kind of kabbalistic. Somebody once pointed out that the Chayyim, who's a misnaga, has a lot of kabbal in the book, which is true, and the Alter Rebbe, the Shneur Zamblade, doesn't. And uh, which is funny, it's more dry halacha. Um, and there are theories why that is, but I'm not going to get into the theories right now. Let me just say that uh, if you read this intro to Yom Kippur, first of all, it's very uh, um, interesting, and every person, in my humble opinion, ought to be familiar with this. It's, uh, it's, it's not simply basic stuff. The reason I say it's Kabbalistic is he says this thing, I think I mentioned here in the earlier podcast, because I've mentioned many times, I always like it, he says that um, watch out for your um, Kabbalists that you take on uh, because you have to know if they're coming from the Eitzah Tov or the Eitzah Hara. 
If you do something and only lasts a short time, it may possibly be the Yitzhahar encouraging you to do this because the nature of evil, according to the Kabbalah, it has like a klipa and, you know, surrounds the uh, good things with a, a, sh- a shell of evil. And every time you do a sin, you create one of these uh, klipa things. But the evil, according to the Kabbalah, evil, the klipa is a parasitical, has no life of its own, it only sucks out the nutrients. So let's say, for argument's sake, you know a guy and he's bad. So in Kabbalistic terminology, you say he's surrounded by a klipa. But the klipa is, is, is nourishing off his mitzvahs. But what happens when he uh, stops doing all mitzvahs? Then it'll die, just like a, a cancer will die if the person dies, because it's all parasitical. It has no nutrients on its own. And so the evil will then encourage the person, he says, uh, quoting a famous maggot or whatever, uh, to go and do some mitzvahs. But it's not really for the person's benefit. It's to supply more nutrients to the klipa. Do you get it? So to use English language today, if you find somebody never goes to shul in the morning, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, for a month, he finds no trouble waking up and going to shul, but then he reverts back to square one and doesn't go to shul anymore. What happened? How do you explain that? Now, from modern secular perspective, you do psychologically or in terms of medicine or whatever. From a Kabbalistic perspective, you say, uh, the Yetzirah was telling him to go to shul because the Yetzirah needs some mitzvahs to feed upon, and then when he got enough nutrients, then he said, all right, back to business and stay in bed and don't go to shul. Uh, and he compares this to fattening a goose before you shecht it and that, that sort of thing. All I'm saying is it's very original. And he has a whole interpretation of the Yashan of Agana, which is kind of cool. And, of course, as part of his essay to the uh, Chayyanam on the uh, pre-Yom Kippur, the Aserit Shiva, he put in there, he wrote the Tefil Zaka that everybody says. He is the author of the Tefil Zaka, which is like a, a must. Not everybody reads in every Yom Kippur, of course. Uh, so he's like a major fan. and if you ever read the Phil's Aqua Jebedee it's really written very simple very cool he has the gift of the cab he has the power of writing which is uh, not not everywhere I'll say more in general he has the power the Chayyadim does of um, synthesis which you don't find in a lot of Svarim uh, you do occasionally what I mean is certain writers like the Rambam and others who copied him not many not many had the power of taking a whole bunch of different disparate things and putting them together in one klal. And that's unbelievable koach. And the chayyotim is one of those. Dar HaShulchan is another. Uh, which means that when he deals with a subject, let's say Erevin, let's say Shabbos, let's say Yom Kippur, let's say, I don't know, you know, any area of halacha, first you have to know a couple of basic kolim. What's the derises? What's the rabbonans? What are the exceptions? You know, this, that, and the other. He'll put that in the beginning introductory paragraphs. And after that, it'll get down to the details. It makes it a million times easier for the reader. Now I know it's flying. Basically, it's an independent Judaism. If you have just the Chayyotam, you can go through the whole Archaim if you wish to, and you know what the heck is flying, and you have a, and literally you have an understanding of the Indian. So I can't uh, praise it high enough. I've always been a fan of Chayyotam. I can't say I was always a fan of Chayyotam. To be perfectly honest, when I was a kid, yeah, the kids of Shulchan and the Chayyotam, the native of them had the kudos, and the Chayyotam was more dense, and I rarely looked at it. You know, I don't remember in the old TA whether they did that, and I think they did the kids of uh, which came later and, and, and tried to dumb down the Chayyotam. But, uh, I mean, in a good way. But uh, you're going to laugh at this, but I don't care. About 35 years ago, more, I went once to the old Perns, and there I saw, uh, to my shock, I, th- I don't know if I was married at the time, I can't remember. They had Chayyotam with the Kudos, it just came out from Israel. And I said, Really? And I bought it. It was like one big volume. Now they publish in several volumes. They try to cheat you. And uh, 
Uh, and it was amazing. I got hooked on it. And I like read it from cover to cover. It's the Chayonam Menuka with the Nishma Sonam at the bottom. That's his Lumdish stuff. I won't talk about that today because no, no time in this podcast. Maybe there is. I'll see. Uh, and then I became a super fan. And my original copy of the Chayim is all marked up and this and that and the other. And that led me to the Chachamah Son eventually. He is really good because I didn't know all this stuff at that time. You know, it's a, I learned like anybody else. Like, you know, a little of this, you know, a little of that. Who can tie it all together the way he can? And uh, he's really great. This is something you do not find in the Kitzvah Shachanah, by the way. So, for example, if you want to get Hilcha Shabbos, just off the top of my head, I'm just talking the as I always do. If you go to Chayyadim, he will take you through all the 39 Malachas. You understand? One by one. Uh, and w- with the necessary introductory paragraphs, a chapter to the beginning, the basic column, you have to know Hilcha Shabbos. Who knows that? Unless you know it. You see? Um, who knows that? In addition, um, he's got Hilchas Yontav, and he takes you through the third Amalachas as far as Hilchas Yontav is concerned. as a separate business. It makes it easier on the average reader. You understand? It makes it easier. And so you can't say, well, do all the work yourself. Not everybody's built that way. You get it? So the Chayim is the hero of the dumbbells, but I mean that in the best possible sense. And let me tell you something. When that book came out, it became a, a, a bestseller. Uh, he wrote it for what I would call the average balabas with a little bit of learning. That's who it's written for, because it's in the Hebrew. So if you can't read Hebrew, you can't understand it. But if you have a certain amount of education, but you never were anything special in school, you weren't the best guy, and you're not going to be the next Vilna Gon or anything like that, then that's your market. And uh, and he can, and like I said before, you have some ideas. We're going to have it Masudaro. The rest of the Chayyam's the one to do it for you. So he published his book in 1810, uh, when he was 60. And he, like I say, gives his whole introduction, why he did it, and all the rest of it. Uh, in 1814, he, he extended it to uh, the Yardea, which is actually even harder, as the Chachmasonim. And again, this is a book I never paid attention to until somewhere else. After I read the Chayyam, then I said, wow, I've got to throw myself in the Chachmasonim. And that's the Yardea, but that's not for everybody. I'm not exactly 100% sure why he did it, although I'm delighted that he did do it. And I'm still waiting each time you're, again, you're going to laugh. I'm always looking whenever new swarm come out whenever I go to Israel. Did they come out with the Chachmas on the Menukad? Uh, but that's the whole Yerodea. You know, the 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 Isra-Hetra, the Kashras, the Nida, the Avelis, and all the rest of it. And again, with the very absolutely necessary introductory paragraphs, which are synthetic in nature, uh, Chachmas has never been as popular as the Chayyadim. The Chai, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, the average guy out there has to know Hilchah Shabbos. The average guy out there hopefully even wants to know, you know, Hilchah's Pesach with all the ins and outs of that, and uh, even Hilchah's Erevin. The average guy out there doesn't even know the Alachah's a Malicha. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, the average guy out there doesn't necessarily need to know the Alachah's of, uh, you know, uh, even even Tarubas. I mean, to be honest, the average person out there. You're going to ask a shout from somebody else. I mean, that's a job for us, but for the, for the rabbi. Uh, nevertheless, he tried to popularize it, which means that he's trying to help the guy who's learning for a bikini or I, I, I imagine to do so. As a matter of history, it's just interesting. The Chayyim took off, the Chachmasanim did not. I don't mean in a bad way, I'm just saying Chayyim had a phenomenal uh, success in Eastern Europe. Uh, it was translated many, many times. I mean, it was published many times. It was translated to Yiddish in, uh, in Lithuania. Uh, Rabbi Sorel Salanter fell in love with the book. Precisely because, being such a frummy, he's like this. How do we get the Hamon Am to uh, to learn Torah? How do we get the Hamon Am 
to, um, you know, um, uh, have access to the ideas, especially in the case of Risol Salanter and the Kelmer Magad, the Kelmer Magad, they had a campaign to give dignity to the lower middle class in the Jewish world in Lithuania and Belarus. And that means the worker, the, the artisan, the, the craftsman, notice the shoemaker, the tailor, uh, the balagoa, those kind of people who had some little knowledge of, of uh, Ivrit, uh, not much, and uh, they started schools and societies and, and shuls. There are many shuls in Lithuania elsewhere called Chayonim and Poltetic, especially the Kelmer Maga was into this. And there's a fight to Haskala. And he said, you know, if you go to a regular shul in Eastern Europe, uh, the, a few rich and learned Balabatim ran the show. They get the aliyahs, they get the kabudim. Everything is designed to suit their purposes, and everybody else can go to the devil. That, that's uh, the plain, simple way it was. And uh, so the average guy is alienated from Judaism. And these uh, Musaris, like the Keller, Mag, and others, they said, no, you should start separate sh- uh, shuls and uh, find those texts that you can teach, have a, a class in, and, and teach the public. And build up their knowledge level. It's what we call in English middle brow education. Nothing wrong with it. It's a fantastic thing. And they started many, many societies, chevres and shuls. And you went to Eastern Europe, I mean, 100 years ago, uh, you know, 120 years ago, everywhere there was like a chevre chayonim. And this not necessarily for the big rabbis, because they would say, oh, it's beneath our dignity to use a cheater book. But it's for a lot of people. And what's wrong with that? You actually know uh, what to do on Shabbos. Before Yom Kippur, they would learn halachas Yom Kippur, and with the Chayyim, it's easy as pie. Uh, and same thing with all the different halachas is coming up, and things like this. And so they saw it as a social, uh, what should I say, social reform mechanism. Isn't that interesting? And the Chayyim uh, achieved this canonical status, which was only knocked out from the Mishnah I mean, when the Mishnah took off, which is into the twentieth century, and that's part of the, the rise of the Mishnah Listen to this: is part of the decline of the class of from Balabatim, because that just withered away before Hitler, you know, in Eastern Europe, everybody became not from, and they were replaced by only the B'nai Torah, the Yeshiva lights. So if, you know, the whole only people learning Allah is not the Balabatim out there, but the Yeshiva people, so then that took off the Mishnah Burr, because he became the big thing in the Yeshiva world. And now in America, and in Israel, all the Balabatim are Yeshiva guys. And so... Uh, you know, she background once so it's a mission of Burr world. But even today, you could do very well. I would recommend most, in fact, I do, depending on who I'm talking to. Most people I recommend, if you want an halacha, I say, do the chayonim, uh, because uh, they'll get a lot out of it. And the truth of the matter is, even the chachmasodim, it's just not so many people are interested in that. There's a guy who translated some of the chachmasodim into English, believe it or not. A cone, I saw it by him on uh, Nida and uh, Yordea. Was it Tarubis, things like that? And, and, and it's very good. It's very good. Again, if somebody wanted to do it, that's a way of doing it. But that's a, of, of a different nature. So as you can see, I'm a big fan of the, uh, of the Chayyanam. I would, uh, in the, in, in, he also wrote this book, but was published posthumously, Zichur Torah's Moshe, which is all the ins and outs of Hilcha Shabbos. But again, with a very, very interesting uh, Hakdama at great length. He was into the long Hakdamas, which he gives, I forget what it is, a story about a prince who was lost on an island or something like that. It was, uh, you know, not your typical type of uh, Hakdama. 
And uh, that's good. But to be perfectly honest, if you have the Chayyanim, you don't need the Zichur Torah's Moshe. The last thing I want to mention, because the hour is late, even though I could go on and on, as you can see, I'm an enthusiast at the Chayyanim, and I think he made a big difference in Jewish history, uh, is this really fantastic thing that probably you don't know about, I would recommend very highly to people, is the Kitzur Haredim that the Chayyanim composed. It's great for learning in shoals and places like that. There is a book called the Sefer Haredim, back from the 1500s, in Sfas, in the time of the Mechaber. You know the Sefer Haredim because he wrote Yedid, Nefesh, Rachem, Anya, he wrote Yedid, Nefesh. But that's all people know. They know that there's a separate thing called the Sefer Haredim. And he had a weird approach in which he tries to organize all halachas by parts of the body. You know, different, many different principles of organization. The Chayyanim has his own. He doesn't exactly follow the Shulchanach. He has his own. The Sefer Charedim, back in the 1500s, he said, you know, here are the mitzvahs you do with your eyes. Here are the mitzvahs you do with your mouth. Here are the mitzvahs you do with your feet. Here's the derises uh, the with the feet. Here's the Rabbana with the feet. And all that. It says, it's a certain shtick. But meanwhile, he goes through the Tariq mitzvahs and the other halachas as well. So the kid, Sefer Charedim was a halacha book. I don't say it's comprehensive, but it's very interesting. But it's lengthy. It's lengthy. The Chayyanim, being who he was, he made a kitzer of the Charedim, which is a few pages, and, you know, here all the mitzvahs with the eyes, the derises with the eyes, the derises with the, the assays with the eyes, the derisa, assay, uh, the los assays, the derisa, the drabonas with the eyes, here's the ears, here's the nose, all the rest of it. I know it sounds funny what I'm saying, but take the trouble to look this up and find out where they have a kitzer Charedim. The Chafetz Chaim used to learn this between Mincha and and I, I see totally why. You can go through, you get a lot of ideas out of that. You go through all these derises and drabonans, and a lot of them you didn't even know, and what the Haredim did is pull from all over Shas. <laughs> you know, he's like that. And so, oh, yeah, that's Takadin. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. And uh, you just learn a lot. So it's a very productive kind of limit. Everything the Chayyadim touched, in my opinion, was productive. He wrote a book about the laws of Eretz Yisrael, uh, which he published in 1812. I'm not exactly sure. But it could be, maybe, due to the fact that from Vilna came the first Zionists. You know, the, the Talmud Agro at that time moved to Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov and people like that wrote the Pasa Shulchan. And uh, they were from his Hevra, so maybe that stirred him to write the Halachas of Eretz Yisrael. I'm not sure. And he writes about Prague in the old days. I remember he said Prague, they uh, do Shushan Purim because they hold, the, the Prague held that it goes back to Achashverosh, I mean to Yeshua ben Nunstein, believe it or not. And all kind of other, yeah, there's all kind of strange and interesting things that pop in the Chayyotim. Anyway, the hour is very late. I've gone longer than usual, and I've only done a half or a third of what you could talk about the Chayyotim. The writings are very, very interesting. But if as a result of what I just said, you read the Chayyotim's intro to Yom Kippur this week, you will see exactly what I'm talking about, and you will agree that this is a home run. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.